Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome everybody to this EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Zias Caravalla, founder and principal analyst with ZK Research. Today, I'm joined by Devin Michael, head of product marketing at Cresta, and we're here to talk about how AI is impacting customer service. So, Devin, welcome. Uh, can you give us a quick bio on yourself and who Cresta is? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Zayas. Uh, my name is Devin Michael. As Zayas mentioned, I lead product marketing at Cresta. And Cresta is a generative AI and conversational intelligence platform uh, where we really focus on making contact centers smarter and maximizing the value of every customer interaction that our customer organizations have with their customers. Um, we do that in a few different ways, ranging from conversational intelligence and analytics to automation of the quality assurance process and real-time agent assistance. Uh, we're backed by some of the leading investors in the world, Sequoia Capital, Andreessen Horowitz, Greylock Partners, and Tiger Global. And we serve primarily uh, large leading enterprises like Hilton, CarMax, Intuit, Porsche, uh, many more like that. You know, chances are, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you've probably spoken to uh, customer support or, or sales rep from one of our customers out there. Um, and hopefully we did a, a little bit to make that conversation go better for you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly a who's who of customers there. And uh, I love this topic because, you know, it's been a little over a year, I guess, since ChatGPT launched. And, uh, you know, that was a lot of people referred to that as the iPhone moment for AI. And so if we were doing this podcast a couple of years ago, we might have had a hard time getting people out of industry to listen to it. But, you know, mm -hmm. today, everybody talks about AI, right? I was actually, when I was uh, in my gym the other day, and my trainer started asking me about open AI and things because it's been in the yep. news so much. So it's, it's kind of fascinating. So, uh, but let's let's uh, start with a, a table setting question here. How has that recent hype cycle around generative AI impacted the investment priorities uh, for customer experience and contact center leaders? Yeah, and, and so Zayas, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this as well, but I can tell you from, from our side of things, it has been a huge uh, tailwind of just general interest, right? Um, you know, we, we've been around um, for, for years before this hype cycle emerged, um, but today we are getting a significantly higher amount of inbound interest uh, from enterprises that now sort of have this C-suite or board level mandate to explore generative AI and its applications um, industry or uh, enterprise-wide. And so contact centers are one of the places that I think these, these enterprises have really identified as high potential, um, given the opportunity to automate workflows, to make people more effective in different ways, um, and to extract a level of insight um, and intelligence out of a really, really valuable source of unstructured data, your customer conversations um, in ways that weren't possible before or were extremely expensive and difficult to do before. Um, so we've seen a huge tailwind of interest in actually just exploring AI. And, uh, you know, you've been around for long enough to know there's been multiple hype cycles of AI in contact centers and in enterprise communications. Um, but this one definitely feels a little bit different because it's it has been accompanied by a significant leap in terms of what's possible. 
Um, so advances in large language models um, ha have sort of opened the door to a variety of use cases that people were excited about, um, but we're finding it difficult to actually realize value and execute at the scale and, and accuracy and quality that they needed out in the real world. Um, but you know, now with faster inference speeds and, and lower costs and larger context windows from these large language models, these things are possible. Um, and so it allows a company like ours that's been building in this space for a lot of time um, to really shine and, and show the market um, you know, the, the investments that we've been making you know, for years before they've heard of ChatGPT um, can really pay off and add a lot of value. Um, so I'm, that's our perspective on it. I'm curious uh, what, what you're hearing with the, the leaders and clients that you're talking to as well. Yeah, I, I've always felt that these big market transitions happen at perfect storm moments. And what I mean by that is um, you wind up with a lot of different technologies that come together at the right time. So if you think of what kicked off the internet mm -hmm. generation, it wasn't just home broadband. It was the combination of that with, you know, the Wintel PCs and the Windows operating system and the rise of the internet browser, right? And so it, it took a technology that was used by a few, democratized it and made it available by everybody by having all those forces come together. I think we've been approaching this moment for a while, but to me, generative AI in the large language world, that was the missing piece because we've had bots, we've had mm -hmm. natural language processing, we've had virtual agents, we've had things like that, but they've never quite given the return companies were looking for because it didn't really transform the experience. Now, to me, the generative piece of it, and this is where the exciting part is, uh, you know, any C-level executive can go you know, to chat GPT or something and ask it to craft an email. Now they see the potential. What if your contact center could use this to craft responses to people, right? That right. you can, or what if your agents just had better answers to give people, right? And so yep. what's interesting about it is in some ways the data was always there. If you had a customer call in with a very complicated inquiry, um, the, but it was up to the agent to go take all the data and understand how to put it together to give an answer. Now with the generative piece of it, it crafts the answer for the agent, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I, I heard it said, I was talking with one of the sports leagues about the use of AI and they said, it allows the untrained eye to see things that the only the trained eye could. And I think if you extrapolate mm -hmm. that into customer experience, it allows you know agents and uh, even salespeople, marketing people who maybe don't have the same level of experience as that really seasoned person to have that same level of experience. And so I do think- Absolutely. Um, you know, we have hit that watershed moment. And I, because of that, I, you know, I, I, I have seen more and more investment here. And, and really, even even coming into this era of generative AI, customer experience had been ranked a top priority for organizations. In fact, my research shows that 90% of companies compete on customer experience, where only 20% of them did five years ago. Also, another interesting factoid from my research is that two thirds of millennials admitted to dropping loyalties to a brand because of a single bad experience. And so right. CX is important. And to me, generative AI is, was kind of that missing piece that allowed us to, to bring these things together. So, No, I, now, I completely agree. And just to build quickly on, on one thing you said that resonated with me, that, that sort of perfect storm moment, uh, we can't also ignore the, the market environment of the last two years in which this happened, right? Where, uh, you know, Wall Street and, and the market at large, it really demanded a new level of efficiency from yeah. companies to be valued the same way. Um, and so 
yes, generative AI can significantly impact CX, but it also can really make companies, uh, give companies new ways to lower their operating costs and do more with less, um, which I think then resonates with shareholders. Um, and so certainly like it, it's the right, it's the right timing to, to, uh, to, to think about these types of investments, both on both sides of the coin, the CX side, as well as the efficiency side and delivering that CX at a lower cost. Yeah. And in, in some ways they go hand in hand. If it, if you can't really, if you cut costs too much and impact CX, then you've not gotten them. Now companies can do both. So, but with that being right. said, you know, when it comes to these, these new AI and use cases uh, that we're seeing popping up, there's lots of them, right? And there's mm-hmm. within the, within CX, there's a bunch of different places where you can apply it. Uh, where, in your opinion, where should companies look to start and where are companies right now getting the best results? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think just some general guiding principles before I get into the specifics, I think right now um, there, there's a lot of noise in this market. There's a, every company is an AI company now, right? Um, and so I think it's important for companies considering starting down this journey to one, don't try and boil the ocean. Two, be careful and really test out what you're trying to use. Consider a POC uh, before committing to a contract, right? Um, And really think about what are the one or two core metrics or value drivers that you're trying to move um, and and build the vision around that. You know, dip the toe in first and make sure that you can get the results that you need um, and and you're not assuming a level of risk that's unacceptable to the business because... These are your customers, right? Um, and so you don't want to um, jump into the deep end um, and, and cause problems for them. So th- those are sort of the high level guiding principles that I would look at. Um, you know, I think for us, there's sort of two sides where, where our customers start and can get really good results. Um, and you know, the first side of that is, is driving efficiency and effectiveness in real time with agent assistance. Um, and it's a concept that is definitely not new. But I think, you know, like many things in the last two years with with sort of this golden age of, of large language models and generative AI, um, the, the execution has gotten a lot more effective. Um, and so we're finding that we can get some really good results, particularly for uh, contact centers that are using chat, for example. Um, and we were recently featured in a Harvard Business Review spotlight about one of our customers. Um, this was based on uh, research from uh, researchers from Stanford and MIT who studied the impact of Cresta. This is a large Fortune 500 uh, you know, global software company. You've you've probably used their software, um, and this was deployed on 1,500 chat agents, the customer service team. Um, and the key there was they were really looking to drive efficiency. They had an issue where you know their agents were frequently leaving under a year of tenure. Right. And they just couldn't get enough skilled people in seats to meet their customer demand. Um, and so one of the ways, like you said, there's that that relationship between CX and efficiency. Right. Where if you can get the same amount of agents resolving interactions faster, that's lowering wait times for your customers. Right. Um, it's reducing the likelihood that you're transferring customers uh, to different agents, which can, of course, be a frustrating experience. Um, and so, you know, in just a few months, these researchers found looking at the use case and the results that, uh, that the number of issues resolved per hour and the number of chats that the agents could handle concurrently both went up by nearly 15%. 
and the average chat time went down by 10%. But what I think is really interesting is they also found that customer satisfaction improved. And that wasn't just uh, you know, the, the direct response to CSAT surveys. They actually looked at the underlying chat logs and transcripts of these conversations when agents were using Cresta. Um, and they found that expressions of frustration went down, that examples of typing in all caps went down significantly, right? And then the really cool thing is they found that the most transformational impact was for the newest and the least skilled agents. And they saw their resolutions per hour jump by 35%. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about a space where there is a lot of turnover um, and there's somewhat of a staffing shortage oftentimes in contact centers, um, this is really powerful stuff. And, you know, the last result that they, they actually highlighted was those agents in that you know, first six months where we see a lot of turnover actually in contact centers because it's a hard job. Um, and there's a lot of frustration that these folks have to internalize, right? Um, so morale can be low, especially among new agents who feel the pressure. That turnover in agents with less than six months of tenure fell significantly as a result of this. So it just goes to show, you know, back to your point of the, the concepts of efficiency, CSAT, and, and some of these things like the investment you're making in people becoming more efficient, all being intertwined. When you empower agents to be successful, they're less likely to leave. And it just makes sense. Um, but I think it, it's good for, for customers to think about this in a way where you can move something like average handle time, but then get a CSAT result and actually get an attrition yeah. result out of the same investment. Yeah. When I, when I think about it, I think about where are the biggest pain points in contact centers, right? And, and uh, I like the way you place you started because agent churn is actually the most expensive thing for a contact center. And agent churn mm -hmm. is way too rapid, uh, you know, right now. And part of the reason why agents churn is because they don't want to work in an environment where they're getting yelled at by the customers all the time. And by and mm -hmm. large, that's because you didn't give the right tools to the agent, right? So I think if you use agent assist type tools, it can it it can uh, give the agent a much better experience, which cuts down churn, which cuts down training time, which improves customer experience and becomes this self-fulfilling, you know, kind of. Uh, value proposition here because the, the better the tools, the better the agent, the longer they stay. I also mm -hmm. think the other area is if you think of all the interactions that a company has come in and you put them on a two by two grid, right? And as an analyst, I'm almost mandated to put things on a two by two grid, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, one axis is frequency of interaction and the other axis is complexity, low complexity, right. high frequency, right? That is something that a virtual agent can answer and should answer because it's reset my password. How do I check my balance? Things like that. And frankly, agents don't really want to do those things anyways. And so now if you can offload those things using generative AI and allow your agents to handle more important things, again, you get mm -hmm. this value, you get this increased value of happier agent, happier customers, faster responses. Right. And so I think that's, absolutely. that's a good way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, one of the reasons I talk about agent assistance as a good place to start is it also, it, it keeps a human in the loop, right? And so that that helps reduce some of the risk of yeah. that generative AI can bring, right? And I think- Hold, hold that know, thought though, because I do have a question coming up on that. No, so. I know that, I, I, but I just want to say like, you know, we've all heard the, the word hallucination this year, right? And yeah. uh, if, when you're applying generative, uh, when you're applying generative AI directly to the customer, you're less likely to be able to control those things. So having at least having an agent that can yep. look at a generative output or a suggestion and then make a decision one way or the other 
it allows you to reduce risk. Um, and the, the other piece to this is that I think I, I do want to just quickly highlight is the ability to transform some of the management workflows within a contact center as well. So it's not just about real-time assistance, but it's also giving managers new tools to make them a lot more effective. And that's the other piece that I would um, advise you know, potential customers to look at as a good starting place as well. Um, it's really giving them the tools to use data in a way that they couldn't before to understand what's happening across 100% of customer conversations, um, to really uh, quantify agent behaviors, who is doing what, when, and does that match the playbook or the brand identity that you've established or the ways that you figured out um, agents can behave in certain situations that lead to better outcomes, right? And then taking that a step further and actually automating elements of the QA process so that your supervisors um, and your analysts can actually focus on personalized coaching rather than listening to calls and scoring them based on sort of a checklist that may or may not actually move the needle. Um, so that's another area where we have customers getting some really great results. Um, and I think you know, one thing I want to emphasize is anybody saying that you can automate 100% of a quality assurance program um, is, is probably selling you a little bit of a bill of goods. Uh, but we're seeing customers automating 85, 90% of QA wow. um, and then really being able to focus their time on that other 10% that's a lot more subjective, but actually allows them to coach agents um, behaviorally in ways that make a difference for the customer. Um, and so we're seeing supervisor efficiency increase by sometimes you know, upwards of 50% or more. Um, and we're saving each individual supervisor five, six hours per week. So this is another area where um, you know, the technology is really well suited to some of these contact center workflows and can unlock value if, uh, if organizations are willing to rethink the way that they deliver some of these core programs. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit here away from the technology itself. Now, sure. the technology itself, I think everybody understands that it, it can add value, but getting, uh, you know, maximizing your value out of AI investments in a contact center isn't always about the tech, uh, but it's how you operationalize it and drive transformation mm -hmm. around it. So what are some of the ways you're seeing organizations transform their operating models in response to generate AI initiatives. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point, Zayas. And I think this is, you know, one of the lessons that early adopters have learned either in previous hype cycles or in, at, at the start of this one is you can't just uh, deploy this technology without really thinking through governance, skill sets internally that are required to be successful. How do you coordinate between multiple business use units or, you know, sometimes multiple contact centers or BT, BPOs that are using this technology? Um, and so the, what we've advised our customers to do is actually build an AI center of excellence and think about where you're applying AI in the contact center more holistically so that you have dedicated headcount that's focused on developing the skills that they need to make the whole organization successful and find synergies between the different use cases and the different business groups and their needs. Um, so it is about actually thinking of, thinking about what resources are needed um, and making a commitment to building out those teams. Um, and that's an investment that's going to last, right? The organizations that are doing that now and starting to build those competencies internally, uh, I think they're going to have an advantage longer term because they're going to have AI native talent um, that has sort of seen multiple cycles of this um, and really can think holistically about where the technology can get the most value for their organization. Um, so that's what we're advising our, our customers to do. Um, and it's not going to be possible for every organization, right? I think very large enterprises, some of the customers we work with, they have the resources 
to be able to deploy a team to just oversee an AI investment. Others aren't going yeah, to. I, um, and so I think we're seeing vendors now offer that as a, as a new professional service layer, right? Where it's sort of a, yeah. an in-house expert, if you will, provided by the vendor until you can get somebody internally that has the skills. I, I think one of the interesting things to think about too is from an operational perspective, what are those new measurements of the contact center, right? Because things like call handle time will change. Uh, in fact, if you do your if you deploy the AI correctly and the AI handles a lot of the shorter, more mundane calls, you might actually see your average handle time go up, right? But that's okay mm -hmm. because your agents are now, um, you know, doing more strategic things. Also, you know, with generative AI, you have the ability to infer CSAT on every call. And so you might actually see your CSAT initially go down because I don't think companies really have a good understanding of what their CSAT is today because, you know, mm -hmm. it, Right now, when it's done by surveys, you get ones or tens. And I think a lot of customers <laughs> tend to know that if they don't give the agent the, in fact, I've been on some, you know, calls where the agent will say to me, look, I'm, you know, could you please fill out the survey? And we're based, you know, if we get all fives and we get a bonus, that sort of thing. And so people falsely put right. that. And so I, I do think uh, from an operational perspective, contact center should be using this time uh, to, to set baselines and understand where they are from a CX perspective, mm -hmm. from an employee experience perspective. And the last thing I'll say, I think companies do need to think about how to manage differently through the use of data. Contact center management, I've always found it funny that it's historically been a person walking around a big room listening for calls that have gone awry. Well, with all your agents now working from home, right, that you can't do that anymore, but there's a lot of data in the systems that can actually help you mm -hmm. understand who's effective, who's not effective. and so. I think from an operational perspective, you do need to move more to a data-driven operational style, which isn't, you know, which which might seem obvious, but isn't the way a lot of contact centers have operated in the past. So, no, I completely agree, and I mean, to your point about CSAT, even beyond sort of this the concept of predictive CSAT, um, what about the ways that you can move CSAT? Right, if you have one hundred percent coverage of every customer interaction and the ability to to more effectively analyze that data. Well, a lot of the things that impact CSAT aren't about what happens on the call with the agent. It's actually business intelligence and you're getting a really rich source of it through these customer conversations. Uh, but when you talk about operationalization, I think, you know, there, there's silos within an organization and not all organizations think about that data and how to use it. So a contact center could be using this technology um, you know, for managing agents and really thinking about their day to day and not passing along those very rich insights about the product, the policies, the things that really make customers happy or drive them crazy um, and not providing that intel back to the larger organization to make better strategic decisions. And that's a missed opportunity. So I think, again, operationalization here is really about breaking down silos and finding new ways to get value out of this really rich data source that suddenly, you know, you can make a lot more sense of a lot more easily and inexpensively than you ever could before. Yeah. And uh, uh, last question, and I, I want to go back to the human in the loop comment you made before. So when we mm -hmm. think about customer service AI and chatbots and virtual agents, um, they're often the first thing that comes to mind, right? As a way to reduce agent headcount through automation. But AI can also be used to empower agents and agents can actually make AI models more effective. So uh, tell me about this concept of human in the loop generative AI and 
what are some of the ways AI can actually empower agents and vice versa? Because we hear a lot of rhetoric about the agent becoming less important or going away, but that's not really true. So if you could expand mm -hmm. on the, that comment you made earlier. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think organizations that are thinking about agents going away are are maybe missing the point a little bit because um, there's there's always going to be types of customer interactions that you that you want a human to handle, right? And that the end customer, more importantly, is going to want to have with a human. Um, and so I think thinking about total automation isn't the right approach today, and it, it won't land well um, with the majority of the customer base today, especially when you're talking about Sort of more sensitive and complex topics where people want to feel like they're they're having a human connection with somebody that actually cares and can help them solve a problem. Um, so just that that that's just a, you know a quick thought on that point. Um, but in terms of human in the loop AI, I think it's become even more important in the world of generative AI, right? Because of that layer that stands between what's being generated and your end customer is really important. And it's actually valuable to the underlying AI models as well. So if we think about some of the common use cases like auto summarization um, or, you know, automatic uh, uh, auto compose completion of, of chat and what, things that we can do to reduce the typing that agents do, agents still have to decide whether to use those things, right? So an auto summary agent will edit it if it's not accurate or may not use it if it's not accurate. Um, they might ignore those suggested chat responses, or if you have some sort of proactive knowledge assistant, right, that's generating an answer to a customer question, that can be incredibly valuable. Um, but if it's generating something that doesn't work or doesn't make sense in the context, the agent can ultimately decide whether to use it or not. Um, and by just doing that, if you're working off of a system that is thought about those things as a method of feedback to improve their models, we can actually get better and better output from the AI over time. So the agent is helping to improve the AI. Now, in terms of how the AI can empower the agent, you know, this is where things get really interesting because oftentimes we think of um, service-focused agents and sales-focused agents as two completely different skill sets or two different business units. But as AI is applied in ways that help those uh, service-focused agents be more efficient and can also help them in real time apply sales skills and build rapport and identify the right moments to potentially offer the customer something um, different or cross sell or overcome an objection, then suddenly the service to sales model, um, which I think, you know, consulting firms and executive leadership have found very interesting for a long time, but contact centers have somewhat struggled to, to actually make work um, becomes a lot more effective. Um, and so that's where these service focused agents can suddenly have greater upside and develop skills with the help of AI. And of course, then their feedback is improving the AI models and it becomes this closed system and feedback loop that makes everybody stronger and everybody better. Um, and so yeah. it, it's really, it's really insightful. And it, it, it's, it's, it's incredible to me when I see some of the results that come back um, in terms of employee satisfaction before and after the uh, the implementation of real-time assistance and, and some of these management tools, agents are just happier and they're less likely to leave. Um, and that's a testament to this technology's ability to empower people, not just replace them. Yeah, I, I think they, it's really important the agent understands their role. And I think it's important the company understands the agent's role too, because 
even with a lot of the Asian assist technologies, um, uh, the, it's, it's important. One of the, the fallacies I think that companies have is that AI is perfect, right? And it's not perfect. Sometimes it's going to give you recommendations of things that it maybe don't make any sense. But but wrong answers are just as important as, as right answers because they mm -hmm. get fed back into the model, you know, as part of the data set. And so the agent's ability to um, interact with the AI model and tag things as good and not good actually helps accelerate the use of AI. And so I always caution companies, don't wait for perfection, right? Yeah. <laughs> for the use of AI, your threshold has to be just better than people. And people make a lot of mistakes, right? And so, yep. um, and, and but I think the agents can play a pretty important role in actually making um, the AI models better, faster. And that's that's a win for everyone, including the agent. So. Totally. And and if you think about it, the, the best models are going to be based on your best people too, right? Like yeah. how do we know what works well and what actually drives good outcomes for the customer and for the business? Well, your top agents are doing those behaviors and your least skilled ones probably aren't. And so we're going to want to model the top agent behavior and then enable your lower skill or newer agents to actually perform like the top performers. Um, and, and that's at the heart of what we do at Cresta. I think it's, it's a really powerful value proposition uh, for companies today. All right, Devin Michael from Cresta. That was a fantastic conversation. And I want to thank you for joining me today. It looks like, uh, you know, we're at time here, so I'm going to wrap things up. But th this was a great conversation. And it seems like every one of those questions, we could have done a podcast alone. On I know. Things, so. Yeah, thank so, you so much for having me, Zayas. It was a pleasure. Yeah. All right, Devin. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, also, thank you to everyone for listening. We hope you took away a lot from today's podcast. For further information on what we've talked about, please head over to Cresta.com. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. You can follow the conversation on our social channels at EM360Tech on Twitter and also on LinkedIn. You can also follow me on Twitter at, at ZKaravala. Find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, but for more great content, head over to em360tech.com. Thanks for listening.